Barack Obama. Uh, up until uh, a couple days ago, I would have said he was probably rating the highest out of them. And this uh, this mess that his campaign staff got him in has knocked him down a few notches. Uh, he obviously understands the power of it. He's willing to use it. He's, He's also willing to steal it, too. Also willing to steal it, exactly, and, and kind of showing some true colors as a politician. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 80 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today joins us from Tyler, Texas. Mark, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you for having me. Mark, would you tell our listening audience about yourself? Well, a little bit about me. I consider myself an independent journalist, uh, also a technology. Uh, and that's what uh, pays my bills at the mean right now. But uh, I, I'm attempting to make a go at a professional independent journalism. So, but my, my background, uh, I've done indie journalism projects for WABC, for uh, Texas Radio Network, as well as my own domain, uh, Risen.com. Uh, also started uh, several indie journalism style projects like Lit Media, which was the first podcast hosting company, and uh, I've worked for Nokia, worked for Apple, all kinds of different tech companies over my career, but uh, what really gets me going is just uh, seeing what's in current events and seeing how I can kind of change the landscape of uh, how it's covered. And how are you treated by the traditional journalists? It's, it's, uh, this kind of goes back to my younger days when I was a kid. My, uh, as a youngster, I was something of a hacker, and uh, one of the principles you learn as a hacker is the social engineering. And uh, most of the time when I'm in a uh, professional uh, event, like a presidential debate or a publicity event like the MTV Music Awards, uh, you don't tell people you're an independent journalist because uh, it, it just suits your purposes better if you kind of try to blend in with uh, the people from the big-name companies. So you, usually I'm, uh, I'm just fine treated like a normal journalist. On occasion, though, I will pull out the I'm a blogger card if it seems like it's going to get me ahead. Uh, one time it did get me into a uh, Carmen Electra private party because the PR guy there didn't know what a blogger was, and he was just so amazed by the term, he just let me in for free. So, Free drinks and uh, free pictures with Carmen, was that kind of the deal? or That, that was pretty much it. It was uh, one of those uh, Video Music Award uh, pre-parties, and uh, I got all the free drinks and food and hors d'oeuvres I could eat and got to hang out in Carmen Electra's VIP section. Was she nice? She was nice, uh, and... Interestingly enough, uh, without all her makeup on, she does look pretty much like a normal person. But once she gets that stuff on, she looks like the supermodel you see in the pictures. Hey, we all would. <laughs> Everybody on TV is made to look good. Mm-hmm. Or else they wouldn't be on TV. Well, not everybody. I can think of a couple of people that you could never really change. I, I don't think you could really 
airbrush Hillary Clinton up enough to really make her look. No, no. That won't stop her uh, her handlers from trying, though. And let me tell you, that's probably a monumental task. You know, how do we make <laughs> Hillary look really, really great? Mm-hmm. And, and the stylist goes, what? <laughs> I'm a beautician, not a magician. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into the topics. How well... Are traditional politicians and their campaign managers dealing with the Internet? I mean, they, they've dealt with the sound bites. They've dealt with the 6 o'clock news and the morning newspapers. How are they dealing with this brand new medium? Well, it varies from person to person, uh, as it does with most government policy. And on the whole, I've got to say, much like the government's technology report card, it's not bright for them. Uh, there are some are really doing a whole lot with not a lot of resources, like Ron Paul. Uh, he has such a rabid fan base on the Internet. He doesn't have to hardly spend any money in his online ventures, and his, his uh, fans, if you will, kind of take care of the rest for him. Uh, campaigns like Barack Obama have a checkered, pat, a checkered record. Uh, they were doing, Barack Obama was doing great up until uh, a but yesterday and today, when this uh, this uh, there's a story going around about his him and his MySpace shenanigans. Um, Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, uh, it was something we covered today on uh, on my podcast. Essentially, what happened was before he announced his candidacy, there was a fellow who was a paralegal who set up a MySpace page and uh, was so dedicated to the cause and belief in, in uh, Barack Obama as a candidate that he got 160,000 people to sign up to be his friend. Wow. It's, it's not a, I mean, and, and if, if people out there aren't familiar with uh, setting up MySpace profiles for camp, uh, marketing purposes, that's an actual pretty decent feat uh, because there's limitations in place and yada, yada. That's just a testament to how well he was, he was doing, how well Barack Obama's received on the net. But uh, then when he announced his campaign uh, candidacy, uh, he, uh, he, his, his campaign staffers wanted control of that MySpace page. Obviously, it was the strongest presence on the net for Barack Obama. And instead of compensating this fellow for his time or trying to bring him into the campaign as other people have tried to do in the past, uh, they went straight to MySpace to... Uh, have him removed as the person controlling the MySpace page and given over to the campaign. And MySpace says, whoa, well, let's, let's not get me in the middle of this thing, and they basically deleted the account. So in other words, the politician stabbed him in the back. Exactly. And that's, not, that's not a very good uh, sign for you know their competency to handle these new emerging technologies. Well, especially when he's trying to come off as you know the, the fresh, friendly face, and then it appears that, once again, they're just like every other politician out there. Exactly. Wow. So when you look at the other candidates, who's doing it well and who's just not getting it? Well, uh, like I said, uh, Ron Paul has a really good handle on it. Uh, his main source of, uh, of uh, support on the net comes in the form of uh, email, mailing lists, and dig. Dig.com is a strong Ron Paul contingent on there that will just dig up any story that's got his name on it. Uh, there is a Bill Richardson and uh, John McCain who've been issuing these YouTube videos. Of course, Barack Obama has been doing the same thing. Hillary 
I think there's probably some people on her campaign that understand that, but uh, she's just kind of following their lead. Uh, but do you the, think the, she the, gets? Really it? understand it seemed to be the smaller ones. Yeah. Do you think she gets it though? Personally, I'm, this is a little bit biased on my part. I don't think she gets a lot of things, but I don't definitely. I don't think she has the experience with technology to really understand what the net means to her campaign. She reminds me of that homeroom teacher that we all had that mm-hmm. kind of comes off as I know it all and there's nothing you can tell me that I don't already know. That, that Just my personal opinion, that's how she comes off. Yeah, the whisper campaign about her for a long time is that she was sort of the architect behind Bill Clinton, and with that comes sort of a, a connotation of, like, she's trying to control a lot of stuff that she may not understand. So that's, that's, that's probably, I, I agree with your assessment there, that's probably what's going on. There's probably just some people in her campaign that are like, well, you know, we've got to do this because everyone else is doing it. And she's like, uh, well, thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm, right. In your opinion, have the mainstream media changed how... They're covering the campaigns by people like yourself who are the independent journalists? Well, I think mainstream and new media have sort of met in the middle a little bit. Um, Mainstream media has done it just strictly for survival purposes because uh, nobody expected, you know, three years ago for this podcasting thing to to come about, right, and be be a major force. But uh, if you go to the iTunes Top 100 now, you know, every every major media outlet dominates that. And so they have uh, kind of come into uh, the technology, but they really haven't changed their methods. So they've, you know, they've changed the delivery, but not necessarily the method of reporting, whereas uh, podcasting and uh, bloggers uh, have actually kind of fit into the, you know, the, the typical way of, of reporting on a, on a campaign by, you know, attaching themselves to the candidates and going on their, their trips with them. And candidates, some, many of the candidates in the mainstream have been allowing them to tag along. So I think it's six of one, half a dozen of another uh, of, of how it's changed the landscape a little bit. When we talk about independent journalism, what is one of the big stories today? For a while, there has been independent media allowed into the White House briefing room. And uh, one of the big things uh, being talked about right now in the blogosphere comes from the Washington Post, who talked about the need for Capitol Hill to open up their press rooms to independent journalists, um, which is, uh, I think, a very positive step. And why do you think that? Why, well, I mean, it, why would that be? As, as a medium, new media typically piggybacks its coverage of everything uh, in in terms of politics and a lot of uh, worldwide events, as a as kind of like a you know, a, a, a leech in terms of uh, other pulling down the other other news sources, AP, Reuters, and all that other stuff, and then commenting on the commentary and their version of events. Yeah, Saturday morning quarterbacking. Exactly, and there's there's not a whole lot of primary sources in the blogosphere, and. Uh, Allowing bloggers access, there's not going to be the the argument against it by the establishment is that well, if we allow one blogger in, we got to allow them all in, and then we got to create a, a press room that can you know fit 500, maybe a thousand people, which really isn't the case. They did it for the the White House, and there's just like a a handful of independent journalists there because you know, independent journalism is not 
something that people tend to do full-time. They're not going to relocate to Washington, D.C. so they can cover the events. But having a few of our own, so to speak, in there is advantageous for the rest of us bloggers because we can get something that's not tainted by the big nine media conglomerates' perspective. Some of the big bloggers, though, aren't they just becoming blended in with some of the mainstream media? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a lot of what's happening. Andrew Sullivan's a pretty good example of that, who works with, uh, I believe it's Slate now. So. so sometimes it's harder to tell which one is really has an independent view mm-hmm. and, and which one has the sponsor-protected view. It's hard to tell, but blog, the blogosphere is notoriously savvy. And uh, what hasn't changed is the nature of how blogs and podcasts work. Um, this is an example. I'm, I, hundreds of people like to point to this. I do too. The uh, the Rathergate scandal and how the uh, the, the, the what Bush memos uh, was all, all that story was broken. It illustrates how the blogging as a medium and podcasting as a medium is self-correcting in terms of fact-checking and and removing bias because you know you've got that comments field at the bottom of every post and. Almost every podcast out there that's run by an indie blogger, or at least someone that's trying to look like an indie blogger, has a comments line or an email address. And you get to write to them and say, hey, this is what's wrong with your, what you're saying. This is incorrect factually. And the truth gets distilled out of that. And just with the, uh, the sheer copious amount of, of independent journalists out there, the truth will eventually get out. And that's one of the, despite the fact that mainstream media is co-opting us, us as a new media whole, uh, we are still winning because they are having to assume our methods and therefore be held accountable. Let's talk about 10 different candidates, five Democrats and five Republicans. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to find your opinions or the opinions of your listeners that you hear from feedback and then give them a rating on how well that they've adapted to the new Internet medium for their campaigns. Okay? Okay. First candidate, John Edwards. John Edwards. Uh, well, my co-host has very strong opinions about him, uh, Art Lindsay. He, uh, Art Lindsay is uh, disabled. He has several policy. And uh, John Edwards, back during the 2000 and, uh, or 2004 campaign, said that if we had the government-funded stem cell research, uh, uh, Superman would have been walking, uh, Christopher Reeves would have been walking. And, you know, it was just a blatant, uh, you know, basically a lie. I mean, it's, he was just saying something because people was, thought it sounded good. He was pandering to his audience. Right, and which is a, a typical politician thing to do. But, you know, it's one of those things that got a lot of people, and uh, that's been the sticking point for my co-host in terms of, of believing anything he says. So he's anti-John Edwards is what you're saying? He, he is clearly anti-John Edwards. Okay. And how has John Edwards done with the new media? Uh, you know, I, I would rank him probably about a four or a five. He really hasn't. It, it does. I don't think it plays into his strategy much at all. I think he's kind of doing the bare minimum. Uh, he's got a website. He does. He has some blogging consultants, uh, but he's not really actively pushing the edges of what uh, of new media can do for him. In other words, it's a token tool, not a commitment. Right. Okay, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. Now, uh, that's an interesting character. 
I agree with uh, quite a bit of his politics being somewhat conservative myself. I, I consider myself a libertarian. A libertarian in Texas. A libertarian in Texas. Yeah, actually, you know, uh, not to sidetrack us a little bit, but Texas is a very uh, big stronghold for the Libertarian Party. Uh, and why is that? Well, I, I don't know exactly why, uh, other than to say it has, probably has a lot to do with our uh, executive director, the party here. Uh, he is a very committed and talented fellow at marketing the party. And since he has been in charge of uh, party direction here uh, for the last few years, it has just grown. We have the largest uh, financial support of any state party in the country. Getting back to Mitt Romney. Yes, Mitt Romney. The thing that, that bothers uh, a lot of people, and myself included, about Mitt Romney is his religion. I'm not, uh, I'm not anti-Mormon, but I do feel that their beliefs are... Uh, they, I feel they're pretty closer to Scientology than they are to Christianity uh, in a lot of their kind of sci-fi-ish aspects to it. And that kind of... It, it bothers me. Uh, that's just a personal feeling. and A lot of people don't get hung up on that. Now, they said the same thing about Kennedy. They said he was going to follow what the Pope was going to say, and that really didn't come out to be true. Right. I, and, and, you know, it, he's probably a, a politician just like anybody else, and he's going to do uh, a job as a politician. But, you know, part of being uh, a republic like we are is voting for someone we feel comfortable with. And just, just because of that, you know, I, I'm sure he's a great guy, but I just don't feel comfortable with some of his beliefs, and, and that's... Call it irrational if you like, but that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Internet rating on a scale of 1 to 10? I, I would give him slightly higher than average marks. Uh, he has, uh, I think he was the one that uh, started a YouTube-centric campaign, uh, had a whole lot of uh, responses on there. He clearly doesn't understand this whole inter interweb thing, but he's willing to give it a shot. And, and that, that, you know, E for effort. <laughs> Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Uh, up until uh, a couple days ago, I would have said he was probably rating the highest out of them. And this, uh, this mess that his campaign staff got him in has knocked him down a few notches. Uh, he obviously understands the power of it. He's willing to use it. Uh, but he's, he's also willing to steal it, too. Also willing to steal it, exactly. And, and kind of showing some true colors as a politician. So that may speak more to his... Uh, likability as a candidate rather than his uh, aptitude to the, for the Internet. So the true colors are showing. That's my opinion, yes. John McCain. John McCain. Now, uh, <laughs> that's a guy who never met a camera he didn't like. <laughs> uh, that, I, mean, uh, he's a, I mean, he's a war hero. He's, he's, a, he's a great politician. I agree with a lot of what he says. But he loves to see himself in front of a camera. He likes to, he likes to get coverage wherever he can get it. And uh, so far, the Internet has been pretty good to him. Every major poll that's taken online puts him in the top two. And uh, I think just the fact – I don't think he's necessarily Internet-centric in his campaign, but he definitely uh, gets himself in front of enough cameras so that it bleeds over to the Internet. But he's what you would call a professional politician. Oh, absolutely. What do you think is his appeal? His appeal is that he, he's a young-looking man, despite his age. He's a war hero. Uh, he, uh, his, his, his conservative politics ring true uh, with a lot of the conservative base. And there's something unique about him. He has never strayed from the uh, support of the Iraq War, which for those in the conservative party that uh, you know, still feel that way, 
they feel like that's the man that you know is truly represents them. His Achilles heel is what? Uh, his Achilles heel may be the same thing as as one of his strong points is that he is uh, solidly for the Iraq War, uh, and obviously that's not a real popular position these days. And uh, unless he ha- develops a more well-rounded rhetoric to defend his position. Uh, in the debates, he's definitely going to get uh, slaughtered on that topic. Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Uh, well, uh, as a uh, candidate, I would never vote for her because I think she really wants to make America socialist. Uh, the uh, biggest thing you could probably do to move America towards a more socialist situation is to have government-controlled health care. And that has been one of her to- hot topics since her husband was the president. But that's because she wants control. And socialists right. mainly want control over everything to make sure that everybody gets the right piece of pie, everybody gets the right napkin, just as long as she gets the biggest piece after the class has left. Exactly. You know, and, and that, that's really the nature of most governments is to, uh, to create more control. But, uh, you know, if you're going to get me to vote for you, you're going to have to be a little bit more covert about it, you know? You can't just say, hey, we're just going to take control of this entire industry. Internet rating? Internet rating, uh, yeah, we discussed her a little bit earlier. I think that, uh, like we said earlier, she is probably, I would say, about a mm, three to maybe generously a four out of ten just because she allows people on her staff to uh, run an Internet campaign for her, but she obviously doesn't have a a real firm grasp of, of what it means, nor does she seem to care a lot. I think she looks horrible on the internet, and I, I think that will work against her. And if she doesn't get a hold of it, she's going to have an uphill battle. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and she's her, her primary opponent at, at the moment is, is uh, Barack Obama, who, who has a very firm grasp of what's going on on the internet. And to the younger, younger uh, sect of the vote, you know, it's going to obviously going to skew that direction because he appeals to things that they know she doesn't rudy giuliani uh you know at one point i, I you know, i like the guy as a, as a man as a leader of new york who brought us through 9-11 i want to really like him for president but there's a lot of things on his record that i just can't get behind uh rudy giuliani uh tough on crime uh good mayor i don't think would make a great president because a he doesn't represent what the the, the political party of, of uh, the Republicans has become. He's not socially conservative, and therefore he's going to have a hard time convincing uh, America, conservative America, to vote for him. Uh, and he is pro-increase uh, of government control in, in, in terms of invading our privacy to solve crime and terrorism. And that's something, as a libertarian, I, I don't abide According to my last guest, Rudy has a lot of skeletons in his closet. Uh, yeah, that is that is true as well. I, I've heard that a lot. I haven't actually investigated a lot of it, but I've heard it a lot. And how is that going to bite him? Well, I mean, it, it probably won't. And it, this is this is the scenario that everybody fears on the Republican side of things because he's got such a strong momentum from his nine eleven uh, leadership skills that the normal vetting process that happens during the primaries when the skeletons usually get dug up and, and the weaker candidates get swept to the side will will be it for him. And then once it comes time for election, there's a you know 
October, November surprise, and he'll obviously lose it once these skeletons start coming out. Don't you feel that it's odd that the Democrats have the most popular party, but the Republicans have the most popular candidate? <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, Bill Richardson. Uh, you know, that's an interesting candidate. I don't know how it's going to happen. Uh, how how things are going to shake down for him? That's that's the uh, the the Mexican American candidate, right? Yes, that's correct. Well, the uh, my wife uh, saw him on TV whenever he started to uh, act like he was going to run for president. My wife is is uh, is Mexican as well, and uh, you know, there you can't. That Mexican vote because she's she's not a pol- she's not a politics person at all. She has never voted in her life, but she said that she probably would vote for him just to see a Mexican in the White House. And there's a very qu- as we know very quickly growing Mexican population in America, and that could have a very large effect on what the vote ha- how the vote happens. If that's the case, why isn't he leading the polls then? Um, well. That that's that's also a good question, which I'm not sure. If I had to guess, I would say that uh, uh, it's kind of a cultural thing. Mexicans don't poll well. I know it kind of sounds a little bit stereotypical, but being married to one and knowing kind of how they work a little bit, uh, they typically don't go for polls. They don't like to answer questions. They don't even get into politics that much. And uh, seeing that is how where is most of his base is going to come from, I can see why that wouldn't show up in a lot of surveys. The other thing I think that Richardson has going against him, along with his connection to R.C. Gorman, is that his personality doesn't come over really well. I mean, he tries to come across, but it just falls flat. He's got all the pizzazz of a wet towel. Yeah, I wasn't impressed when I saw him on TV. The only thing that left an impression on me was what my wife said, (laughs) is that I'm Mexican, I don't vote, but I'd vote for him. So, you know, it's... Okay, honey. (laughs) <laughs> go, go for it, you know. How about Tommy Thompson? Uh, Tommy Thompson is is kind of a new darling. Uh, a, a lot of uh, the the smaller uh, conservative journals have gotten behind this candidate because they see him as uh, kind of a as someone that's semi recognizable, and uh, uh, his politics are impeccable in terms of uh, conservatism, and uh, he's going to probably get a lot of, I wouldn't call it grassroots support, but smaller mainstream media support in the Republican primary system. He was the governor when I lived in Wisconsin, and I would say that he's Reagan-like in his politics and of his common sense. I've heard that a lot, yeah. So how do you rate him on the Internet? On the Internet, you know, he has done a couple of small email blasts uh, that I've been a recipient of. Uh, and he's gotten a few good key uh, media organ- small media organizations behind him. I think that he probably doesn't have the capital in his coffers right now to really attack it, uh, and he probably doesn't have the know-how on staff uh, to uh, really take advantage of the cheap and effective methods of campaigning online. I'd probably put him at about a four, uh, but that could change as his campaign gets more momentum. Joe Biden. Joe Biden, um, you know that's that's a guy that I, I hear a lot about. Being uh, on the conservative side of things, I don't really know him that well. Uh, I would not put his online campaign very highly because obviously I would have been exposed to it more. But uh, his 
I mean, his politics are solidly uh, democratic. A lot of uh, of of the uh, what they what they call themselves Jeffersonian Democrats uh, express some support for him, but uh, he's not exactly the most you know popular candidate in the bunch. Uh, other than that, I don't. I, I'm not probably going to end up supporting him anyway. But uh, as a candidate online, he's he's not making a real effort at the moment. Joe Biden is a good communicator, but he also comes off like the evil genius. You know, he's he, yeah. I've heard that he's a real brilliant man. I've read some of his stuff, and I liked what I read. But he doesn't have like a you know broad appeal. You know, he's just got he's got a lot of intellectual appeal. And the final candidate from your neck of the woods, Ron Paul. Now, Ron, there's my man, Ron Paul. Uh, I, I'm an odd duck when it comes to voting in, in national elections. I've, I've supported a lot of can, uh, candidates with no chance of winning before. Uh, but Ron Paul is probably the best hope that libertarians could possibly expect to get uh, nationwide coverage. Uh, he's running as both a libertarian and a Republican. Uh, at least that's the, the buzz right now. He's got a firm control over... Uh, you know his internet campaign and a, fir- and a firm grasp on it. Despite being a fairly old man, you know he's 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 got some real savvy people on staff with him. Uh, his politics, obviously, I'm <laughs> being a libertarian. I pretty much support the only thing that he and I part ways on is the immigration issue. Uh, he takes the more uh, popular uh, stance of being anti. Uh, loosening and, or laxing of the immigration laws as a libertarian. I think that everybody, regardless of what they're born in America, have the right to uh, pursuit of happiness, life, and liberty. How would you compare him up against Ross Perot? Uh, less crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, less eccentric, I'll say it that way. I'll be nice. Okay, and, uh, and at least... Uh, Ross Perot... And, and Ron Paul is serving in, in the House of Representatives. Right. He, he has political experience. Ross Perot put himself in the campaign to be a foil for, for the Bush family because he has a, a long-standing feud with the Bushes. And once it, he thought he was in the campaign enough to pull those uh, votes away from Bush Sr., that's why he pulled out of it. He wasn't serious about actually winning the presidency. Ron Paul, isn't. he's, he's realistic about it. He knows that there's a strong He's not going to get elected president, but he's going to run like he he want, he will be. How are Texans seeing George Bush these days? You know, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I recently moved back to Texas uh, about two and a half years ago. Uh, I am a native Texan. Uh, I moved down to South Florida, and then I came back. When I left Texas, everybody was pro-Bush. I mean, even when you know the the opinion was starting to sway across the country anti-Bush. Texans were still solidly pro-Bush as, as a majority. Uh, I come back now, and people sort of treat him like uh, they regard him as if, you know, yeah, he's from Texas, but, you know, you know what are you going to do? He's the president. You know, it's, it's not like... They're almost apologizing, in other words. Exactly. And what do you think happened, in your opinion? Well, I, I got I to gotta, uh, do the stereotypical thing and place a lot of blame on the media. I mean, there has been a concerted, a concerted attack on the war in Iraq in the media and how it's covered. And I'm not saying that a lot of the points that the media tends to bring up about Iraq are, are not valid, 
Uh, I've got my own concerns about the war myself. I'm not a 100% solid supporter of it. However, you know, uh, what's being said dictates thought in America, and you can only be exposed to, you know, the war in Iraq is wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. It was a mistake, it was lied to before we started believing. You know, only so many years can go by when you hear that before you okay, yeah, maybe you're right. And what is the root of that bias? The root of that bias, uh, this is a complicated topic. Uh, to try to simplify it, I don't think it's like there's some sort of uh, underground meeting every day where these, these liberal reporters around the world get together and say, hey, we're gonna, this is the, the page out of the book we're going to read today, and we're going to say this is, this is what's bad. What it more has to do with is a culture of liberalism in the media. Um, and that has to do with the people who own the papers uh, employing editors that tend to agree with them because people in your circle of friends tend to agree with you. When you employ an editor that tends to agree with your liberal viewpoints, then you're going to have writers that get employed by them that want to agree with the editor so they'll get ahead in the, in the company. And what you have is left-tilting uh, uh, reports and news and they're not meaning to be biased. It's just how they are. I mean, bias will come out 100%. Even in the blogosphere, it's not immune. But it, the thing is, is uh, the, what the media, what the old, old media likes to do is not acknowledge that bias exists. And by doing so, they're being disingenuous to the public. With the media bias, do you think that we'll ever get a president that's in the office, that we won't make their life miserable? Uh, at this point, no. As much as I'm a, a new media uh, proponent and, you know, celebrated, uh, I don't think that that will not exacerbate things. I think that uh, more scrutiny will force even more scandal to come to the surface. Uh, what we're going to have to do at some point is just say, hey, you know, this is the amount of, of missteps, mistakes, and wrongdoing we're going to willing to accept. This is where the bar is set. And uh, once you... Once you get so many demerits, then we start talking impeachment. Because what happens now is everybody wants to impeach everybody just on the slightest misstep. Right, just because they disagree or they did something wrong. I had a, a, a conversation with somebody a week ago where they were saying, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to impeach Bush? I was like, bad leadership is not an impeachable offense. If, if he's committed a crime, if he's committed a criminal act, by all means impeach him. But it, bad leadership or greedy leadership is not a criminal act. Well, and, and this goes to the, the level of bureaucracy and legislation we have at this point in our country's history. I mean, every politician, I guarantee you, has broken a law. I mean, whether it be a misdemeanor or a felony, you know, every, almost every American citizen has probably got something on their record. They got some tickets. They got a, a, a court date they didn't show up to or something. Somebody's not wearing their seatbelt. Yeah, exactly, you know, and, and we have laws that conflict with one another, and, and we have federal agencies that create policies that if they go unacknowledged by the legislature for more than, you know, 180 days, then it becomes federal law, and with that many laws in existence, everybody's breaking them. Mark, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything, so fire away. Let's do Well... I had my questions written down. Oh, there they are. Let's see. My first question is a new media question. And uh, do you, I want to know if you think it's feasible for a talented and passionate indie journalist like myself or others 
to go full-time in that chosen craft, do you think the infrastructure exists now to support them in, in such a venture? Not that I've seen, but I don't think we're too far away from it either. For example, if we look at blogs and we look at podcasters, the vast majority of those types of media haven't reached critical mass to gain enough advertising support where they can live off of that, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. Right. However, I see some of the larger media will start looking at the bloggers and the podcasters as a potential talent pool, and I think some of those will still stay independent and just do it as contract work instead of being a employee of the company, if you will. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think that the time is, is close upon us for uh, independent journalists, but you know, over the last three years, I've tried several different ventures using different methods of monetization. And unless you're willing to accept sub-minimum wage uh, as an indie journalist, it's for the con- actual content producers, it's just not possible to make a living wage yet. But I, you know, I think that could change in as little as six months. I really do. I hope you're right. Mark, what's question number two? Question number two is, what do you envision the role of government in terms of legislating technology? And how is your worldview different from reality? And what needs to change for those eventualities to converge? What specifically in technology? Because that's a broad brush. It is a broad question. Like, um, one of the, the things we talked about on, la- uh, on one of last week's shows was all the bad laws that government makes regarding technology, restricting uh, invasion of privacy. And there was a guy that wrote an article trying to find any good laws to counteract the bad laws uh, regarding technology. He found two, and he found 18 bad laws. So I guess what, your, what I'm asking is, what's your view of what needs to change in our government and who we elect to kind of bring the way they legislate towards the way it should be or towards reality in terms of technology. As far as the Internet and any other industry like that, who drives the laws is the lobbyists because the, the lobbyists are the ones that go to the representatives and they are the ones that say, as an industry, this is what we need. For example, I'll give you an example that I did personally. When I was with the Broadcasters Association, we had a lobby Congress to get the television manufacturers to actually put in HD receivers into their televisions because they didn't want to do it because of the cost. So it was the broadcasters that drove the bus to make sure that people could get HD in their televisions a lot sooner. Uh Now, what's it take to change those laws? It takes the public to contact their congressmen, and their, their representatives, their senators, and say, hey, we don't like this proposed law. Don't vote for it, or we like it, vote for it, or change it. But that's not going to change until our population, our, our citizens, are more politically inclined or politically involved or politically informed to be able to get to that point to say, uh, that's a bad law, don't even put it into place. What's your thought on that? Well, uh, as you brought up the lobbyist groups, you know, I, that's, that's really who, what drives legislation. You're absolutely right on that. Do you, I, maybe, I don't know, what would 
what it would take to, to make something like this happen, but maybe uh, the blogosphere, the Internet. Uh, as a, I mean, they're good for coming around certain types of petition campaigns. Maybe they should try to form a, a lobby in Congress, uh, a lobby for Congress uh, to kind of counteract these these types of, uh, you know, actions by the, the, the larger conglomerates. But if you did that, you'd have to have an anti-lobby for every lobby. And what I'm saying is if we get the citizens to pay more attention to what the laws are or what's proposed, then we have the opportunity to nip it in the bud. But as I've said before on this show, people in America are time poor, and they're not necessarily going to be involved in that. So a lot of times with our laws, we have to do the Saturday morning quarterbacking like we've talked about before. It's the caveman answer. Uh, what? <laughs> exactly. Sometimes yeah. we read those laws and we do the caveman. Uh, what? <laughs> What's question yeah. number three? Question number three. Uh, I subtitled this my Miss America question. Uh, and I, uh, I've listened to your, your, your uh, podcast in the past, and I felt you might be uniquely qualified to answer this. What can be done by new media types like us to further dialogue and the foundation of common ground with the Middle Eastern or Islamic culture and this Western world of ours, given the extreme you know, cultural disconnect, language barrier, and things like that? Well, there are two things that we can do. Obviously, we can send out that open invitation that, that they will take up the conversation. I've, I've had conversations with uh, Imran. Those have been very educational, but you also have to look at the cultures. I mean, the, the cultures, especially out in the Middle East, they look at America, especially as Western technology, is almost a, a evil sort of thing. So until they're able to actually embrace the Western culture, which embraces technology, I don't see how we're going to be able to have this open dialogue. Right. But we're hoping that a few will be able to jump the fence. Right. What do you think? Do you think that we, we will? I mean, think we're as kind of a new media moving in that direction? Oh, absolutely. And the other thing that is interesting to watch is when the new media starts getting a foothold in some of these countries like China and Singapore and the like, where they're very controlling of the message, it's interesting to see them clamp down. And when you see a country clamp down on people that are trying to freely express, you know you got something. Yeah. Mark, do you want to tell about your podcast and your blog and how people can listen and read what you have to say? Certainly. Um, I have a five days a week uh, podcast called Rizwords Daily Politics and Technology. We talk about how uh, politics and technology intersect and kind of go in on those different topics that the blogosphere is talking about. I also blog there. Uh, I pretty much talk about whatever crosses my mind more wide and varied and less focused in the podcast. The, the way to get a hold of me and to listen to the podcast and read my blog post is to head on over to rizzm.com. That's rizzm.com. Mark, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you would make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, 
and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. Remember that you can listen to the show every day at Coolcast Radio. And of course, we always appreciate your subscriptions at iTunes and Yahoo Podcasts. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.